So Luke chapter 2, verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Peniel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. I wonder how well you wait. I don't like waiting very much, if I'm honest. Um, You know, whether it's waiting for Christmas, um, by the way, it's 360 days to go until Christmas. Um, Or maybe it's, you know, you're trying to get out 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 of the house in the morning or you're trying to get somewhere and somebody is going at glacier speed and it's just so frustrating. You've got to wait, getting late. Or maybe it's waiting for that Amazon delivery that's promised next day or even same day delivery. Or waiting for the level crossing in Farncombe. I think some years ago, I, 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 um, I shared with you how long I'd waited, my, um, I'd worked out. And I, I worked out again this week. Um, over the past 17 years of living here, I have waited about four whole days of my life <laughs> at that wretched crossing. I mean, there should be compensation for this, isn't there, really? And I'm guessing I'm not alone in my dislike of waiting. We want things done to our time, our schedule. And anything labeled instant or rapid or fast is guaranteed to sell. But waiting will always be part of a Christian's journey. And how well we wait says a lot about how we relate to God, especially because much of our, our waiting is actually quite painful. Our trust in God's timing is most keenly challenged when we have to wait, especially if there's no guaranteed end date, waiting for a a wayward child to return. 
a relationship to mend. Broken hearts to be healed. Friendship to be found. Disappointment to be resolved. Impossible problems solved. Healing to happen. That job to materialize. Prayer to be answered. God created time. He established day, he established night and seasons. And time answers to God, not the other way around. He plans all things. And so think of this. It is impossible for God to be late. It's impossible for God to be late or to have us waiting around without purpose. The Puritans understood this well, and they developed a bit of a theology of waiting. They referred to it as being in God's school of waiting. God's school of waiting. Now, in Luke chapter 2, we're joining elderly Anna, and we see that life in this world for believers is, in fact, in God's school of waiting. In particular, waiting well for Jesus. And what I want us to see this morning is that that is, if you like, the big wait, the big context of our lives, waiting for Jesus. And if we wait well for Jesus in that big context, that really helps us with all of our other little, smaller waits, which are big in our, in our, in our experience, but they are smaller than the big wait. That is Christ's return. When we wait well for him, that helps us to wait well for all the other weights in our lives. Well, Anna was waiting for what Simeon was waiting for. Look at verse 25. The consolation of Israel. That's what he describes in verse 30 as the sovereign Lord's salvation. And in verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, the glory of your people Israel. Anna describes it in verse 38 as the redemption of Jerusalem. And both Anna and Simeon, they were giving their lives to waiting for God's long-promised Messiah. His first coming to save, the light of the world and the glory of his people. Or for us today, we live at a different time and place. So we live after Jesus' first coming, and yet we wait for his second coming. We live in the gap. When Jesus will return to earth in glory, and the splendor of his glory will light a world in spiritual darkness and bring in eternal salvation for his people. So on this New Year's Eve, as we see out 2023, as we see in 2024, as another year ticks by, nearer to that great day when this world as we know it is going to end and Jesus will return to judge the world and make all things new. How do we wait well in all of our kind of smaller waits, if you like? for that big wait ahead for Jesus' second coming. Well, as we join Anna waiting for Jesus' first coming in the first century, whilst we know little about her, she actually has a lot to teach us about life in God's school of waiting in the 21st century as we wait for Jesus' second coming. So this morning we've got seven quick-fire things 
um, about Anna um, waiting well for Jesus. And here's the first one. Speaking God's word. Look at how Luke introduces Anna in verse 36. There was also a prophet, Anna. Now, in calling Anna a prophet, Luke is saying she was someone who brought God's word to God's people and to the world, typically proclaiming God's written word in the scriptures, but also foretelling God's future plans, both of those things. And that Anna is a prophet is huge because there'd been no prophet we know of amongst God's people for the past 400 years. And yet now here she is. God is, God is ending his silence as he sets apart one of his people to be his mouthpiece. Now, if you're a Christian, as a New Testament believer, part of waiting well for Jesus' return is about being set apart to speak God's words. To communicate the gospel in the Bible. And at times to do that with words of prophetic wisdom and insight into people's lives. There's a great uh, 19th century hymn by Francis Havergal. Um, and it's a great prayer to pray as we move into 2024. we read a couple of verses. They go like this. Lord, speak to me that I may speak in living echoes of your tone as you have sought, so let me seek your erring children lost and lone. So teach me, Lord, that I may teach the precious truths that you impart and wing my words that they may reach the hidden depths of many a heart. So speaking God's words. But then secondly, the second thing Anna teaches about waiting well for Jesus is seeking God's face. Seeking God's face. It's really interesting that Luke mentions Anna's dad in verse 36. She's described as Anna, the daughter of Penuel. Now, that is at least to identify her from other Annas living at the time. But maybe also Penuel was a well-known character. Or maybe Luke mentions him because he wants to highlight his name. Penuel means face of God. Face of God. And it's Old Testament famous as the name that one of the founding fathers of Israel, Jacob, gave to a place where he wrestled with an angel of the Lord and experienced God. Genesis 32 verse 30 says, So Jacob called the place Penuel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Anna is now very old. Her dad, Penuel, would have never known, never seen Jesus like she did. But just rewind some years to when Anna was a tiny baby and Penuel, as a, a young dad, is, is holding his baby girl, Anna, in his arms and he looks into her face. Little does he know that she would one day, in her old age, Look into the face of God. God in flesh. The Lord Jesus Christ. And in many ways, the name of her dad, Penuel, face of God, captures what Anna's life 
was about. She sought God's face. As God says in Proverbs 8, verse 17, I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. And Anna did. And if you're not a Christian and you're seeking God, can I encourage you? That is such a wonderful promise, isn't it? Those who seek me, find me. Go on seeking God. Now, when Jesus returns, we will see his face. We'll see the face of God. As we enter 2024, as we wait for that great day, when Jesus returns, what is going to capture your life? One of top of your priorities for 2024 is that you seek the face of God in a way that you didn't last year, this past year. That by faith, you seek and experience him more. That is what the Apostle Paul is praised for believers in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. It's a great resolution for this year ahead, that I might know God in a way that I haven't in the past year. So seeking God's face. Well, there's a third thing that Anna teaches about waiting well for Jesus, and that is living God's way. Living God's way. Look at verse 36. It's kind of a, feels like a passing mention that Luke mentions that Anna is of the tribe of Asher. And it feels like a really unimportant detail, but it's actually quite significant. Asher was one of the tribes of Israel known as the lost tribes of Israel. Back in 722 BC, the 10 northern tribes of Israel, they were conquered by the Assyrians. They were taken into exile, and largely, they lost their national and spiritual identity. Asher was one of those tribes. They mainly just assimilated into Assyrian culture and religion. Living in exile, they chose to no longer live God's way. And so they lost that distinctive faith they had in the Lord. But quite clearly, not all of them. Anna of the tribe of Asher, she stands out as a godly woman. So here she is in contrast to the spiritual apathy and apostasy of her tribe that had just given into the world's values for an easier life, seemed more palatable to the culture around. She had chosen to live God's way. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And so as we end 2023, we, we don't need reminding. We live in a culture that is not living God's way, that laughs at God's way, particularly in areas of human identity and purpose and sexuality and gender and issues of beginning and end of life, abortion, euthanasia, and of issues of time and eternity our culture laughs at God's way. And in a perverse way, even tells us that God's way is harmful. 
And tragically, this last year, we've seen mainstream Christian denominations, even people claiming to be evangelicals, giving into the world's values for an easier life in a weak and a doomed attempt to try and make the gospel sound more palatable. The truth is, they have lost the gospel. Like the lost tribes of Asher. So 2024, let's be like Anna. The gospel has always been revolutionary to the culture. Don't be unashamed of that. Don't be ashamed of that. Against the spiritual apathy and apostasy that we see around us, let's live God's way as we wait for Jesus' return. Because do you know what? When Jesus comes, his opinion is the only opinion that will matter to anyone. And so as Paul says in Romans 12, verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So living God's way. But then fourthly, the fourth thing Anna teaches about waiting well for Jesus is accepting God's path. Look at verse 36. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. And you note the footnote there says, then had been, it could read, then had been a widow for 84 years. So basically there's not clarity about whether 84 was her current age or if 84 is how many years she'd been a widow. Now, if the latter was the case, then let's say that she'd married the youngest a girl could marry in those days, which was 14 years old. Um, and then she had been married seven years, and then a widow for 84. Well, you do the math, that makes her 105. Now, Luke does say in verse 36 that she was very old. Um, but it's unlikely at, at 105 she'd be out and about and in the temple, I think. So most likely, 84 is in fact her age. Um, if you're kind of an octogenarian, I mean, the Bible does say you're very old. <laughs> I think, on that interpretation anyway. But that's a wonderful thing. You're, and statistically, you're nearer glory, aren't you? Um, I hope that's my perspective when I get that, you know, to that age, if the Lord spares me. Anyway, we digress. Um, whatever way you understand this 84 years, either way, she had been a widow for the majority of her life. We, we know very little about her married days, except they were, they were cut very short. And since then, she'd embraced singleness. We're not told, really, how Anna coped with being widowed so young. What we do know is that by the time we meet her in Luke 2, verse 37, she never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. And I imagine that for Anna, there were days, maybe months, maybe years, of dark struggles and deep sadness. 
But it is interesting, isn't it, that she, she does wind up with her suffering, rather than that pushing her away from the Lord, with resisting, with rebelling against the path that God chose for her, her suffering does seem to have drawn her towards the Lord, to find refuge in him and an acceptance of and a navigating that path that God chose for her. I hesitate to say much on this, really. Many of you know this by painful experience. And for all of us, we suffer loss of those who are loved ones, who are close to us, our nearest and dearest. And if we've not yet, it's only a matter of time. As we seek to navigate that path that God has given to us, well, maybe do so in the light of Jesus' second coming. Anna, widowed for so many years, would have known the scriptures that spoke of God as the true bridegroom of his people. And on this day, she, she looked into the face of Jesus, and there he was in front of her. And when Jesus returns again at his second coming, Jesus will return to marry his bride, his church, his people in a perfect, intimate union for all eternity. But until then, in the loss, in the pain, in the struggle of now, how do we wait well? Well, let's look at the fifth thing here that um, we learn about Anna and how she teaches us to wait for Jesus well. And that is that she's devoted to God's worship. She's devoted to God's worship. She never, verse 37, have a look at verse 37. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. What's going on there? Now, it is possible that Anna had living quarters at the temple. That's possible. But it's more likely, when it says she never left the temple, it's a dramatic way of saying that she was there a lot. So, so for example, think of um, if you're in the workplace, you, when things are really busy, you might say, oh, I live at work. It's not that you literally live there, but it does feel like it. And so that Anna here never left the temple, it doesn't mean literally, but that she was there so often, it, it felt like she lived there. And such was her devotion to God, that she could be seen there at any hour of the day, day or night, fasting, praying. Verse 37 paints a picture of a woman navigating the path of loss for decades, waiting well for Jesus by quietly devoting her life to the worship of God. And it's really striking what a kind of background character Anna was. Clearly, she would have known Simeon, um, but it's his encounter, when we're reading just now, notice that it's his encounter that gets most space in Luke's gospel. Anna's story we know so much less of. Rembrandt um, captures this well in his masterpiece of Simeon and Anna um, at the temple in the National Gallery in Stockholm. And Rembrandt paints Simeon in the foreground here, holding baby Jesus, and the light is on Jesus, Anna is a rather shadowy figure in the background. 
Rembrandt even calls the painting Simeon in the Temple. Anna gets no mention. My guess is that she wouldn't mind. And I can imagine many in heaven bumping into Anna and Anna saying, Hi, I'm Anna. And uh, people going, Anna? Oh, Anna, uh, Luke 2, Anna, nice to meet you. What was it like that day you met Jesus? Anna, Anna has no limelight here. In her suffering, in her loss, she's content to wait on the Lord. Worshipping amongst God's people. I mean, she was the kind of person that if she was absent, you would assume she was dead. In fasting and prayer, seeking God's face until the Messiah came. I mean, wouldn't that be a great way to enter and live 2024? Not needing the limelight, content to worship among God's people. Centering our our work, our rest, our play around the gathering of God's people for worship. And living life where prayer and fasting, seeking God's face. It's something we're, we're at least seeking to strive for and carve out time for. And that's something we'll only do as we get the next thing that Anna does. So here's our, our sixth thing. Anna teaches us about waiting well for Jesus, and that is that she's thankful for God's redemption. Look at verse 38. Coming up to them, at that very moment, she gave thanks to God. And that's describing the moment in verses 22 to 35 that we just read, when Mary and Joseph, they present baby Jesus at the temple uh, as required under Jewish law. And Simeon says in verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Now we've seen that Um, Anna, she was always at the temple. Simeon lived in Jerusalem. And he would have been a regular at the temple. And so we can be 99.9% sure they would have known each other and probably quite well. Verse 25, he was righteous and devout, just like Anna. Like Anna, he too was waiting for the Messiah. And it's even quite likely that Anna knew of God's promise to Simeon in verse 26. Look at verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. I mean, if you were Simeon, you would tell your friends that, wouldn't you? I, I think I would. So how many conversations about this day had these two had? How many times had they stood together in the temple courts? And just watching as parents brought their little babies for dedication, wondering, is this the one? Is this God's long-promised king, God's long-promised Messiah? They knew it was going to happen in Simeon's lifetime. And now the day had come. The Holy Spirit had revealed it to Simeon and Anna, she's there. She's ready for the action. Her life had been spent waiting for this moment. And now verse 38, 
She's full of thanks to God for his redemption. It's a word that comes from the slave market. It's about buying back at great price that which is in slavery. And what Jesus does is rescues, redeems from sin and from death. The Savior has come. So as we enter a brand new year, remember this, that it has also been revealed to us in God's word, well, not that Jesus will return in our lifetime, but although he may, of course, but actually that he will return when there are believers still on earth. He will return with the souls of believers who've died to redeem his people, to redeem our bodies with a glorious body like his resurrection body, redeemed from disease, from decay, from death. But as we wait for that glorious day, let's live 2024 like Anna, thankful, giving thanks for Jesus' first coming, who was born for our redemption, our forgiveness, and who rose again that we might have eternal life with him now and then when he returns forevermore. Very briefly, there's one last thing we learned from Anna here. She teaches us about waiting well for Jesus, and it's this, proclaiming God's redemption. Look at verse 38 at the end. She spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. I mean, Jesus is too good to be true, isn't he? He's too good to keep to ourselves, isn't he? And Anna becomes this trailblazer for New Testament mission. It's a great, great challenge, a great encouragement for 2024. She tells her friends. She tells anyone who will listen about Jesus. She becomes an evangelist declaring the good news of Jesus. And she does this in her old age. And her example is a great antidote to a poison that is deadly to the life of God's kingdom. Weary cynicism. Long periods of waiting, long periods of suffering are a common cause of this. And we ask, is anything going to happen? Anything going to change? And Anna shows us the treasures that lie in store for us if we wait for God's purposes with an attitude of hope. Her faithful waiting bore fruit in evangelistic energy deep into her old age. She, you look at her and you go, that is how to grow old well, by waiting well for Jesus. And we may well, may well wait for Jesus' second coming our entire lives, dying before Jesus returns. It doesn't matter. In the power of the Spirit, let's keep hope alive and expectation joyful. Knowing for sure that 
any emptiness that we experience in the waiting time is graciously preparing us to receive more of his love in the end. Let's, like Anna, make Jesus known in 2024. And such a life that proclaims the gospel and does so boldly is a life like Anna's. Life in this world is in God's school of waiting. Let's allow the big wait for Jesus' return to shape all of our other waits that we experience so that we're speaking God's word, we're seeking God's face, we're living God's way, we're accepting God's path, we're devoted to God's worship, and we're thankful for God's redemption, and we're proclaiming God's redemption.